Strange Brew Podcast Season 1, Episode 121. About three weeks ago, some idiot went on this podcast. I don't know who he is. Good looking, though. And he said, this team might be 3-9 and nine entering the Monday Night Football tilt in New York on December 11th and might be sitting with a top three pick. They'll let anybody have a podcast these days, won't they? What a turnaround for this team. I don't think I was alone in that assessment of where this team was at following the Viking loss at 3-6 and six and just wanting to see improvement. Well, we have seen not small steps, not incremental steps. We have seen leaps and bounds forward. Not only do they not end up 3-9, and nine, they win all three of those games. Chargers at Detroit, a first-place team on a short week. And then against the reigning Super Bowl champions and Patrick Mahomes and Taylor Swift at Lambeau Field in the snow in primetime, they win every one of them and catapult themselves into a playoff spot. If the season ended today, this team would be the seventh seed in the NFC playoff picture. Incredible turnaround. We will discuss the best Packer win to date this season, most of this podcast. Then we will talk about the Badgers getting a bowl assignment. They did not end up in Music City, as we speculated on Friday. I think the Big Ten championship game and the performance from Iowa had something to do with that. They get a January 1st game against a premier opponent, and it may be against the guy who's going to win the Heisman Trophy. We will discuss that as well as Badgers Marquette. Big weeks for both of those programs. Badgers, a big, big win at the Kohl Center over number three Marquette on Saturday. And the Brewers are set for a landmark deal to be announced this morning. Let's go. On the ground, a chance here. Durham to Hardy to first. It's high. Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, Smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw, and the Brewers win. Here's the snap. He looks, he throws, and intercepted. And there is your Super Bowl dagger. Booker the drive gets inside, leads in, backed away, and stolen by Holiday. Phoenix has to foul on a pinnacle ball, throws it down. Swinging fly ball. was told, even though I thought there was a chance they'd end up 3-9, and nine, which most of us kind of did when they were sitting at 3-6. and six. But even at that point, I wasn't saying draft a quarterback. I wasn't saying get inside the top two and get Drake May or Caleb Williams. We were preaching patience, even if this ends up being a 4-5 or five or 6-win year. I think that's what we said at the time. Let's just see them get better every week. And I was told by all of the haters and losers. The haters and losers, of which there are many. There are many. I was told by all the people in my life that just hate the Packers and hate that they've been good for so long and hate people specifically like me who were born in 1984 and have known nothing but Hall of Fame quarterback play, division championships, a couple Super Bowl championships, always contending every year. They hate that age group the most, the fans of other teams that may be in your life. 
And they were telling me after that Viking game and after the Raiders game and after the Broncos game, get ready, buddy boy. That's what they were saying to me. You deserve this. You deserve this. That's what they were saying in not so many words. After everything that you've got to watch over the last 30 years of NFL football, you deserve to sit and watch the 70s Packers for a decade. That's what they told me. They told me this team is going to be bad, not just this year. They're going to be bad for a long time. Jordan Love isn't the guy. You're going to have to draft multiple quarterbacks. You guys deserve this. Karma has finally come around. You're going to be terrible for the next decade minimum. That's what they said. And it turns out they were only bad for three weeks. (laughs) I only had to suffer through three weeks. It was the longest three weeks of my life, let me tell you. Given the privileged seat that I've had as a Packer fan born in the mid-80s. It was a tough three or four weeks there, but we made it through, everybody, and they're good again, and they've got a great quarterback again. We made it through that tough speed bump of the middle of the year. Just an incredible turnaround for this team in the middle of the year. Before we get into the nuts and bolts of this game, let's just get the officiating conversation out of the way. That was such a colossal meltdown by the referee crew on the final Chiefs drive last night. And it was both ways. It balanced. The ledger was balanced. I know that NBC, for whatever reason, spent 10 minutes replaying a Hail Mary and getting upset about the fact that Jonathan Owen shoved Travis Kelsey a little bit in the back. If you watch footage of any Hail Mary, in the NFL, in college football, Division One, Two, II, or Three, Pee Wee League, middle school, high school, whatever. Any Hail Mary, that happens on every single Hail Mary. I could not believe the amount of time they were spending on that with Tariko and Collinsworth and what's the guy's name? Terry, the NFL the referee they have on the NBC broadcast, Terry McCauley. They were breaking that down like it was the Sapruder film, the JFK film. They looked at it from every angle. Oh, there's definitely a little shove in there. There's definitely a little bit. I mean, it's all you can't say there's not. Chris Collinsworth kept on saying that like it was some revelatory statement. Oh, look, there's. I mean, he shoved him. That's a that's a foul. That's a penalty by the letter of the law. It's a penalty. Hey, Chris. Shove it up your ass, buddy. I mean, come on. You can go through every NFL play and pick it apart and find a penalty that wasn't called. A hold on the offensive line, a hold by a defensive back, slight pass interference here or there, or maybe a lineman a fraction of an inch like we saw in that Rams game. Remember those calls on the initial love shove in that Rams game? What was it, three or four weeks ago? By the way, love the love shove. I love that Tariko drop in there. Instead of the tush push, the love shove. And an offensive lineman's a fraction of an inch over the back end of the football. You could go back in every play and find a penalty that wasn't called. I was flabbergasted they were spending that much time on that. Now, if you want to say they missed a call on the Carrington-Valentine pass interference, they absolutely did. They also had a bad call on erupting the passer penalty, which they never went back and looked at. Well, they did maybe right after it. And then when they were agonizing for the Chiefs fans out there over the two pass interference non-calls at the end of the game. Nobody went back to look at that. That gave the Chiefs 15 yards, and it also saved them about 30 seconds. Remember, if that play is called correctly and he's just down, I don't think they stop the clock there because he's in bounds, and I'm almost certain you lose 20 seconds in that instance. Also, you had the catch by MVS on the near sideline, and that near official should have kept the clock rolling, and she gave him forward progress out of bounds. That was a terrible call. 
There also should have been a 10-second runoff on that drive, which they never did, giving them an additional two plays at the end of it. It was a disaster on both sides, though. Missed calls on both sides. It's almost like the officiating was so bad it was good, where it was so bad on every single play, on every single call, that the ledger did balance out by the end of it. I could not believe the amount of time they were spending on those pass interference penalties. Like, somehow this was the 1919 Black Sox, and the Chiefs just got jobbed out of a championship. Unreal amount of time spent obsessing over that. All right, so the officiating part of the conversation is done. Let's talk about the game itself. Taylor Swift. (laughs) She was there, and they were way under, by the way, on what we predicted on Friday. The amount of times they showed her on camera. Was it two? I was actually hoping they'd show her more. I was hoping by the end of that game when Kelsey did get shoved out of the way on that Hail Mary and the Packers won, I was hoping for a cut to the booth at that point. They showed her entering Lambeau Field maybe once in the first quarter. So for those of you, the who cares folks out there, who cares? This has been a dream for who cares guy on Facebook. I'm starting to come around on who cares guy on Facebook. And you know who I'm talking about. You may be one of them. And that's fine. Whenever there's an article like that and you play, you put the nobody cares gif or the Peter Griffin who the hell cares gif, there's always who cares guy. Or this is news. That's when we always see too because of our sister station, WHBL behind me, news station. This is news. Anytime they post something on Facebook, oh, must be a slow day. This is news. Well, who cares guy? The Taylor Swift NFL story subplot has been a dream come true for who cares guy. Every article ever posted on Facebook about who cares. They didn't show her much, though. For those out there that got real sick of that at the beginning of the year and said, can we just concentrate on football? They did that last night. I think they only showed her one time during the game. We saw Simone Biles a few times. Liv Morgan from WWE fame, I guess, was there. Tony Shalhoub, Monk, TV's Monk. One of these things is not like the other. Simone Biles, Taylor Swift, and Tony Shalhoub, all in the same sentence together. Celebrities were out, and what a performance the Packers put on for them. That first drive was a statement drive. For all of the ills this Packer team has gone through and the growing pains this year, one of their biggest growing pains, especially in the first however many weeks, was not being able to score not only in the first quarter or not on the first drive, but not in the first half. Well, they totally changed that narrative last night. The first two drives, but the first drive in particular – that marched down the field four or five yards at a pop, took seven minutes off the clock, and it ends in a touchdown. That was a pro's pro drive. That was a professional football drive by a good football team just methodically moving the ball down the field, punching it into the end zone, making a statement on that first drive. The first half flew by. I think they only had two possessions apiece. Everybody put together long drives. The difference was, and we'll talk about the Packer defense in a second, The difference was the Packers put a couple of touchdowns on the board and the Chiefs only got a couple of field goals. The Packers were able to ratchet up some pressure and actually did bend and not break. So far this year, a lot of the time, it's been bend and break defense. It was a bend and don't break defense on those first two drives. Packers had a 14-6 lead. Didn't love the way the first half ended, right, where the Packers had that chance and were in field goal range. That drive sort of disintegrated. They had that weird shovel pass to James Robinson on third and long where they were trying to pick up a chunk of yards to get back in the field goal range. They end up punting. And then the first drive of the next half, Chiefs go right down the field and get that touchdown. You do stop them on the two-point conversion. That was the third and 18 conversion, too, I think, that first drive in the second half for Kansas City. Didn't love the way those halves bridged. But this young team showed some resolve then. They got down the field and scored a touchdown themselves. 
Eventually, you get to a 27-19 game. The defense came up with some stops. You got the Keyshawn Nixon inter- interception. Anders Carlson hit some big free throws, but you hit some free throws. <laughs> hit some big field goals. Got free throws on the brain. Field goals. You knew that Mahomes was probably going to get the ball with a chance to tie or get the lead at some point. They had a chance with a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie, but the Packers able to hold them, and then they dodged the pass interference on the Hail Mary, and they beat the reigning Super Bowl champions 27-19 to in front of a raucous crowd. That's as loud as I have heard Lambeau Field. Maybe it was just a mic situation on NBC where the crowd mics were better. That sounded raucous. Remember, we were doing when the season looked just dead to rights and adrift at sea. Remember, we were doing all those Packer memories, and we did a lot of them from the 90s. And just the audio of Lambeau in the 90s with a younger crowd probably and the team on the rise, they all sound so loud. Last night sounded loud at Lambeau. There was a lot of Kansas City red there, which you would expect they travel well, and Lambeau's still a destination for an opposing team's fan base. It was a loud venue last night, and it just seemed like a very enthusiastic, optimistic Packer crowd at Lambeau yesterday as well. Now let's break it down. Jordan Love. We always start with Jordan Love. I'm going to play you a Matrix Morpheus clip here. What is he doing? He's beginning to believe. He is starting to believe. He believes. He, He believes. He is definitely in the belief category now. Just another performance where we are not seeing small steps forward, big steps forward. His accuracy is so much better. He was just short of 70% last night. Another three touchdown, zero interception game. Eight touchdowns, zero picks in the last three games. And the last two weeks, not to take anything away from the Chargers, he was good there too. The last two weeks, you're able to do it against a first-place team on the road on a short week and then the reigning Super Bowl champs, whose defense has been good, as we talked about on Friday. You're able to do it against a good defense on the reigning Super Bowl champions in prime time. The kid just looks so different. It's night and day from where it was in week six. Like we talked about on the Friday podcast after the Lions win. He just looks confident. He looks comfortable. He doesn't have as much happy feet. He's not sailing the ball as much. Those 15 to 20-yard passes are much more accurate. They're not unloading the super deep ball. They did at the beginning of that Lions game on the first play to Watson. We haven't seen a ton of that, but if they're not connecting on that right now and you're able to score and you're picking up chunk plays without those kinds of 40, 50-yard throws, why even have them in there? His accuracy now from 10 to 15 or 15 to 20 yards has been excellent. He's stepping into throws, putting him on the numbers, putting him in spots where guys can catch him and turn it upfield. 25 of 36, 267. If he stays healthy, and that's the biggest caveat to any season-long stat bet, we had the over-under on his passing yards on a futures bet at 3,350. What does he have? He's already, he might get that in the next two weeks. He is at 2,866, so he gets 200 yards minimum next week. That'll put him at, oh boy, public school education. That'll put him, if he even gets if four, 400, 500 yards away, he is, if he, unless he has an injury, is on his way to that. Knock on wood for me out there. And he is also able to get another big touchdown no-pick game. He outplayed Patrick Mahomes. He did. Jordan Love outplayed Patrick Mahomes. That is a statement of fact. Quarterback rating of 118.6, QBR over 90, 
as we discussed on the Friday post-Lions podcast, once again, and this has been the case the last five weeks now, you could argue that was his best game as a pro. He spoke to that 2021 game as well in his post-game press conference. I guess I didn't realize he had that component to his personality where he remembered that game and losing that game and maybe some of the things that were said about him following that game when he filled in for COVID Rodgers in 2021. And he said he had that one marked on the calendar. When he saw that on the schedule, he wanted revenge for what happened in 2021, and he got that last night on the year. Love's Cuba, or quarterback rating is now over 90. His QBR is over 58. He's got 22 touchdowns, 10 picks, 24 total touchdowns, and 10 turnovers. You can give him the extension now. I know on Friday after the Lions game, I said, I still want to see the full sample size. Even if things are going well, I still want to see the full 17 games. You can give it to him now. He is only going to get more expensive the longer this goes on if you're Brian Gutekunst. He is now definitely looking at that four-year, $120 or $130 million extension. If you gave it to him today, if you would have given it to him at halftime, I don't think anybody says boo. He is the quarterback of the present and the future for this team. I know everybody's going to get caught up in, is he a third Hall of Famer in a row? And that's all really fun to talk about. It's going to be years and years and years before we know how the end of his career looks. He certainly looks like he is at minimum going to be an above average quarterback or a pretty good quarterback. And I feel like that's the floor right now and his ceiling is much higher. He is a guy that you no doubt with the way he is playing, give a whatever it's going to be three or four year extension in the 115, 120, whatever that Daniel Jones extension was. That's what he's going to get. And he's probably going to get more. He's going to be 40, 45, 50 million dollars a year and he's earning it. Other parts of the offense, you certainly are bummed out about Christian Watson's injury at the end of that game. It was on a beautiful play, too. Just a great call at a great time to reverse it to him, the double flip. And he tried to do the right thing. He tried to take a knee after he got the first down to keep the clock rolling. And it seemed like as he was taking that knee, his hamstring tightened up. Nobody had very specific details about how severe it was. He was talking, though, post game. He was talking to media members outside of his locker. He didn't seem too concerned, but... I guess we'll wait to see what happens. I would assume on the first injury report this week on Wednesday, he is going to be on it as a DNP and maybe all the way until Monday's game. He does get an extra day. The next game is a Monday nighter in New York. That was a bummer of a way to end that night, but Watson had two carries, 15 yards, seven for 71, two touchdowns. Romeo Dobbs had that beautiful catch on fourth and one. What a play call there on that fourth and one when the game was definitely in the balance. Love's able to throw off of his back foot, falling down and just drops it in the bucket. Credit to Romeo Dobbs with guys on top of him, letting that fall into his bread basket and not juggling it away. He had four for 72. Dontavian Wick, solid again, three for 43. Tucker Kraft has filled in fairly seamlessly since Luke Musgrave went down. He had three for 37, and he almost had the play of the night. The best designed play of the night was one was one of the few that did not work. Remember, they had everybody motioning to the right. Kraft faked a block and then was going to leak out, and there was nobody around him, but pressure did get to love. He had to force a quick throw, went off of Kraft's hand. If he brings that in, he runs whatever it was, 25 yards in easy for a touchdown. He has been great in Luke Musgrave's stead. Jaden Reed, a little quiet. He was on the injury report all week, four for 16. Malik Heath had that tremendous catch and run. He had the drop, but he had the catch and run for the undrafted wide receiver. He continues to develop. It's just been a pleasure watching this wide receiving and tight end core grow. Now, we did say, even when things were down, I think if you go back to the podcast after the Viking loss, one thing we did say that we were optimistic about in the in the lowest moment of the 2023 Packers right now, that was the low moment. 
one thing we did say even then was that one thing you have to be optimistic about going forward is this wide receiver tight end room, and they just continue to get better. When you look back at the Goody legacy, and who knows what that's all going to entail. He's going to be here for a while, and who knows how many division titles they win. Do they win a Super Bowl with love? Whatever. When you look at this wide receiving core and the way they're growing, and this is all Goody draft picks, Dobbs and Watson last year, Wicks, Kraft, Reed, Malik Heath, undrafted free agent this year. He has assembled quite a room there. And the two rookie tight ends. And then Ben Sims on top of that, his first ever catch, a one-yard touchdown reception. First touchdown of the game, his first ever Lambeau leap. He even got in on the act. What a room he has assembled. The 2018 draft, remember we did the Goody retrospective drafts and how some of them were not really that great? Well, the most recent of the two, the 2023 draft and the 2022 draft, Right now, and there's a lot of time, it's looking like he's hitting on about 60% in those two drafts and maybe better. And that will more than make up for the deficiencies of the 2018 draft, 2019 draft, 2020 draft. Although if love turns out, that's all that matters really from the 2020 draft. Another guy from the 2020 draft that deserves some credit for last night, A.J. Dillon. Five weeks ago, I would have said, and I think we did say, in a contract year for him, he's probably on his way out. I just didn't see with the way he was playing and the way the Packers were playing, and him being 25 years old, which is not old, but in in running back terms it kind of is, especially given that it looked like he had kind of lost a step in the last couple of years and a bigger guy. He has gotten better every week. Maybe the most unheralded of all the offensive performers last night. 18 carries, 73 yards, 4.1 a carry. That's more than solid, and in December, in the colder weather, with the snow kind of coming down here and there, a mix of precip, that's his time of year. He was grinding out yards. He was such a big part of those first two touchdown drives, the first one especially, getting four or five yards a pop. And he was able to create some yards last night where it didn't look like there were any. He had a lot of carries where it looked like he was dead to rights for no gain or a loss, and he turned it into a two- or three-yard gain. He, again, had a nice reception, too. He ends up with almost 100 total yards on the day for A.J. Dillon. Now let's talk about the defense. Guys, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what to make of Joe Barry at this point. He is so maddening. I saw a tweet that did sort of reflect, I think, how I'm feeling. The tweet said that 75% of the time, I'm paraphrasing here, 75% of the time, it works every time, 75% of the time, I don't have a problem with the way the defense calls their plays. But the other 25% are so bad, it makes me think Joe Barry's bad. So he has a success rate of three out of every four, but the one he misses is so egregious, like a third and 18 last night. It just makes you want him gone. But he is successful 75% of the time. They hold this Chiefs offense to 19 points. As we discussed on Friday, this is not the same Chiefs offense as it was last year and definitely not what it was three or four years ago. That said, this is, what was the tweet Nagler had? This is the first time since 2010, the Super Bowl year of 2010, that the Packer defense has not allowed more than 24 points in a game in eight straight games. Eight straight games, 24 points or under. First time since 2010 they've been able to do that. They have the ninth best scoring against defense in the league in terms of points per game given up, which take the DVOA out of it and the yards per play out of it and the total yards given up and the rushing yard rush defense was trash again last night. Take all of that out of it. All that matters at the end of the day, right, are the points you're giving up, and they are a top 10 defense by that very important metric of how many points are you giving up. They are giving up, I think, a little less than 20 per game right now. 
and that puts them ninth best in the league, a top 10 defense in terms of points given up. Oh, I forgot to play this clip. Just going back to the officiating and that conversation real quick, I forgot I favorited this tweet. Here was the Patrick Mahomes take on that where he seemed to say that didn't matter. Obviously, the guy was probably a little early, but at the end of the game, they're letting guys play. Um, I'm kind of I'm kind of about that. I'd rather you let the guys play and let the guys win it on the field. Um, but uh, it's hard. To, it's hard. It's a hard job, man. So uh, it's not when we're in that situation. I can't be wanting a flag. I have to try to go out there and win the game myself and with the rest of my teammates. So for all the Chiefs fans that were complaining about that and the amount of time NBC spent on it, Patrick Mahomes basically said, yeah, they let him play at the end of the game. And that's what we want. We, we want it the other way, too. Anyway, the defense was solid. The third and 18 is the big one that sticks out where it's so frustrating. They were in a first and 25, and they end up in a third and 18. Patrick Mahomes just sort of made a play, though. He stepped up toward the line of scrimmage. The guys that were in coverage on Kelsey thought that Mahomes was going to run for it, and a fraction of a second before he's over the line of scrimmage or the play or the line where you can't pass it, he chucks it. He sucked him forward for a yard, and then he froze him. He knew what he was doing. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is going to make some plays, guys. He's won MVPs. He's won titles. He's arguably already on the Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks all time. Sometimes you tip your cap to a guy like that. That was maddening, though, and that's where you saw most of the consternation as it revolved around on Twitter, as it revolved around Joe Barry was, how could you let him convert a third and 18 and a first and 25? They had other mistakes, but overall – You give up 19 points. They got the sacks on those first two drives when they needed them and only gave up field goals instead of touchdowns. They had three sacks on the night. Lucas Van Ness had another one of those chase-down sacks where he was able to bring down Mahomes from behind. Rashawn Gary had a half a sack. Kenny Clark had a half a sack. Devontae Wyatt had a half a sack as well. They got a turnover, the Keyshawn-Nixon interception. That came at a massive moment, and they got the stop at the end. I don't know. If they were to replace Joe Barry... More more Packer fans than not at the end of this season. He's not going anywhere this season. At this point, we can say that with certainty. And he probably wasn't anyway. But with the way they're playing now, they're playing good enough to justify him staying on for the rest of the year. If they were to replace him at the end of the year, more Packer fans than not would probably cheer that move. But it's looking more and more to me like he's going to be around at least next year. They're doing enough. They really are. 19 points. They got some sacks. They got the turnover. They got the stop late. I mean, what more do you want, really? And the special teams, pretty good. No big mistakes, except for that offsides at the end that gave five free yards. Anders Carlson, clutch, two big kicks, a 40-yarder and a 48-yarder. And that 48-yarder was when it was 24-19, one of Love's mistakes last night, and he's going to make mistakes. God, I put on I put on the Green and Gold fans on Facebook page. I think I put a, a meme or a gif of Morpheus from The Matrix saying he's the one. And then it must have been 10 minutes later they had that delay of game penalty, and then somebody <laughs> hopped in the camp. Well, well, delay of game penalty isn't helping. All right. Well, what is your expectation for the quarterback of your team? Aaron Rodgers made mistakes too. Lord knows Brett Favre did. If your expectation is that they're going to make every single throw right on the money and not turn the ball over and throw for 300 yards and four touchdowns and no picks, and there's not going to be a penalty, your expectation bar might be a little high. I just have to laugh at that, though. 10 minutes later, delay. Well, we'll delay a game penalty. You know, this age poorly. <laughs> okay. All right. Relax. But Anders Carlson, in that moment where they were talking on the broadcast, he was not good in that direction in a 24-19 game where a field goal at least forces Mahomes to need a touchdown and a two-point conversion just to tie. He booted it right through. He did not miss an extra point. They did enough, too. Danny Whalen put one inside the five-yard line. He had two punts inside the 20. Not a lot of punts on the night overall. Did the Chiefs even punt? One punt for the Chiefs, two for the Packers, and both were inside the 20. Again, much like the Detroit game, 
All three phases seem to contribute in that win last night. With the win, the Packers are 6-6. Six and six. Cue the Jim Fossil. I'm raising the stakes right now. This is a poker game. I'm shoving my chips to the middle of the table. I'm raising the ante. Anybody wants in, get in. Anybody wants out, can get out. Okay? This team is going to the playoffs. If the season ended today, on the graphic they showed at the end of the game last night, they would be the seventh seed. Unbelievable turn from talking about a top three pick three weeks ago to right now they would be in and taking on the Niners. Yikes, that could be a scary matchup, but whatever. If they get in the playoffs and they get smoked in the first round, that's fine. Like we've talked about the whole year, all that matters this year, well, you want them to go as far as they can at this point, but all that matters this year is learning to win, experience, getting better, and playing in the playoffs, even if it's against the Niners, and even if you lose by three touchdowns against the Niners, it's valuable playoff experience for a young quarterback, for a young offensive line, which played great last night, and for a young team overall. Getting in, and yes, if you lose or get blown out in the first round, in the wild card round, that is still a step forward. That is still progress for the youngest team in the league. That's the craziest thing. When you take the macro view on this, this team has gotten their bleep together. They are 6-6. Six and six. They play five winnable games now, and we'll see how they do in those five games. But if they take care of business, they should be in the playoffs. And they're doing all of this with the youngest roster in the league, with an injury list a mile long. Some of their premier players, Bakhtiari played one game, hasn't played. Jair Alexander hasn't played. Aaron Jones has barely played this year. Those are three of their best players. The youngest roster in the league, a huge list of injuries, a makeshift offensive line, a quarterback in his first year as a starter, and and 30% of your salary cap is tied up in Aaron Rodgers, who is not on the team, and David Bakhtiari, who may as well not be on the team right now. That is how much you're handicapped in terms of the amount of players you could add just to pay them because of the salary cap limitations of Rodgers and Bakhtiari's contract. They're doing all of that, all of it. Youngest roster in the league, salary cap disaster, injury disaster, and they're getting it done, man. Six and six, and right now would be a playoff team. We will go through the NFL here. We can just do it right now. But with that win now, the Packers look toward the matchup with the Giants Monday night in New York. That's a 4-8 and eight team. That's a team with a third-string quarterback who is playing better. And that is a team that had a bye week this week. They have extra time and then an extra day because it's a Monday night or two prep for this Packer team. Remember what we talked about on Friday. This Chiefs game, and I said win or lose, obviously the win helps them. It gets them into a playoff spot right now. I said on Friday what is going to determine whether or not this team makes the playoffs is how they perform in the five games after the Chiefs game if they can take care of business. A young team that's on the ascent. Now, can you win games you're expected to win and get yourself in the playoffs. I think that's still true. How they perform in these five games will determine whether or not they get in, and it's likely they're going to lose a game. Okay, let's not freak out. They could win all these. Honestly, they could get to 11 wins. Nine to 10 wins should get you in the playoffs. If you can go four and one, you're probably in. I think three and two probably gets you in two. I don't know that we need to raise the expectation bar to saying this team is going to run the table and be 11 and six. Could they? Maybe. But one game at a time, one game at a time, 
and you've got a Giants team that's at their place in prime time with a young quarterback who's also feeling better. And again, they had an extra week to prep. Nothing is going to be easy for this Packer team. Nothing is going to be a cakewalk, I don't think, 14-21 point win. You hope they are. But this is still a super young team that is slowly finding themselves and getting more confident as the weeks are going by. Now you've got to take care of business against teams that you are going to be favored in. You're going to be they are going to be favored in every one of these games. I think maybe not Minnesota, maybe. But every other game, they will be favored in starting Monday in New York. Okay, quick rundown of the other games. We got we had a 4-1 gambling week. We'll talk more about that on Friday. But, man, we just stay hot. The Colts covered and won in overtime, 31-28 in Tennessee. <laughs> this is this, Speaking of Big Ten West games, Chargers in New England, 6 to nothing. They covered. The Chiefs or the Chargers were five-point favorites. They won 6 nothing. Lions had to hang on against the Saints. My Saints future bet in the NFC North looking real dicey. 33-28. Falcons won, so they're a game up on the Saints. They do play each other yet, and it is in New Orleans. If you can get that back to level, maybe you have a chance to win that game and still win the division. Falcons hang on over the Tim Boyle-led Jets 13-8. Packers, by the way, now have the 37th overall pick in the early part of the second round with how bad the Jets have performed. Cardinals and Steelers are under hit there. 24-10, 24-10, man, that Steelers offense looked bad. Kenny Pickett got knocked out of the game. Mitchell Trubisky came in, and the two-win Cardinals go to Pittsburgh and win by a couple of touchdowns. That's probably one the Packers wish they had back. Dolphins route the Commanders 45-15. to Pretty good game between the Texans and Broncos. Texans put an end to the Bronco five-game winning streak behind C.J. Stroud, 22-17. Buccaneers, who will be at Lambeau in a couple of weeks, they get to 5-7, and and they're kind of snipping that NFC South now. They're only a game back, 21-18 over the one-win Panthers. Matthew Stafford, resurgent. Three-touchdown game for the Rams. They're getting healthy. I can't tell you how big it is that the Packers have that tiebreaker and they were able to play the Rams when they were not healthy. They are 6-6 as well. Just on the outside looking in, they beat the Browns 36-19. Joe Flacco back in the league for the Browns. Looked pretty good, actually. And then the only gambling loss we had was that Niner-Eagle game. Remember on Friday I said, I can't believe the number one seed in the NFL, the number one seed in the NFC is getting points at home. Well, Vegas had a reason for that. 49ers blew their doors off, and the Eagles have some injury issues. I think Hurts got injured in that game, too, and ended up playing all the way through. 42-19 to statement win for the Niners. That's why you'd like to avoid them. If you do get to the playoffs and you're the seventh seed, you'd love to avoid that matchup. Brock Purdy had four touchdowns. Debo looks healthy. Niners are 9-3, and a game back of the Eagles for the number one seed in the NFC. And then what's tonight? It's not a good one, is it? No, it's Bengals and Jacksonville. Jacksonville favored by 10, of course. No Joe Burrow for the Bengals. That is how we wrap up week 13 with Monday Night Football tonight. All right. Did we hit on everything there, Packers, Chiefs related? I think we did. What a fun night. Let's talk about college football quick. We said on Friday the most chaotic thing that could happen for the college football playoff was for Alabama to beat Georgia and then everybody else to win. Because you know college football does not want a Final Four without an SEC team. And if Alabama were to win that game, and they did, that throws so many things into flux because Texas also won and Florida State won. So they had the selection show on Sunday morning, and the college football playoff is going to be Michigan-Washington, who got in with the win against Oregon on Friday and covered there for us, plus 10. They won outright. Michigan unbeaten, Washington unbeaten out of the Pac-12. Texas won the Big 12 and had only one loss on the year. And then Alabama with that win. They get in as the four and they'll head to the Rose Bowl to take on Michigan. This led to, rightfully so, I think, outrage from Florida State and Florida State fans. 
Florida State beat Louisville in the ACC title game Saturday night at the same time Michigan was beating Iowa. And that got them to 13-0. The problem Florida State has is that their Heisman candidate, their quarterback, was his name Jackson Taylor? Is that right or am I thinking of a Badger point guard? <laughs> I can't remember which. But their star quarterback, Jordan Travis, their star quarterback who was a Heisman candidate, broke his leg two weeks ago, was out for the year. And the committee looked at this and said, probably, I'm just hypothesizing here. I am betting the committee looked at this and said, look, Florida State is a premier program. They are only, what, nine or ten years removed from the Jameis Winston national title and another college football playoff appearance in the Winston era. This is a premier program in a premier state in a Power Five conference, and they are 13-0. and But they have a backup quarterback at best, and on Saturday they had a third-string quarterback. Their defense is so good. The best four teams, though, or the most entertaining matchups – probably involve the winner of the SEC, in this case, Alabama, getting in over them. Now, if you were the fan of a team, let's just say the Badgers were sitting at 13-0 and in a, in a hypothetical world. The Badgers are sitting at 13-0 and and they don't get in the Final Four. I can't even tell you the level of blind rage that I would be at. But I'm going to say what I think they probably thought. They got it right for the most talented teams that remain and the most entertaining teams that remain. Florida State did get screwed. Both things can be true. I know a lot lot of people in radio like to say, especially sports radio, two things can be true. In this case, I do believe that is accurate. They got the best matchups because Michigan-Alabama is going to be a better game than Michigan-Florida State would have been. That's just my opinion. I mean, I don't know why any Florida State fan will listen to this podcast, but if you stumble into it, if you're just hate-searching out podcasts because you're angry still and you have the right to be, you may Florida State may say, well, wait a minute here. Our defense is still elite and we can hang and all that stuff. Just from a marketing perspective and from the on-paper perspective, Michigan versus Alabama is probably going to be the more entertaining game than Michigan versus a Florida State team on their second or third string quarterback. That's true. What is also true is Florida State got screwed. Both of those things are true. It ends up being Michigan versus Alabama. They'll go to the Rose Bowl. And then what's the other one? The Sugar Bowl? It'll be Washington and Texas going there. And then in the consolation round in the Orange Bowl, it's going to be a good one. It's going to be Georgia, and it's going to be unbeaten Florida State. And Georgia, even though their schedule was weak, you could almost make a case for them too. They hadn't lost a game in two seasons. The two-time defending champions, the two-time defending national champions who had not lost a game in two years, lose their final game of the year to Alabama in the SEC championship game, and they are out. It is poetic that this is the most controversy we probably had since the college football playoff was instituted, the most conversation and the biggest screw job of an unbeaten Power 5 conference team, premier team. It is poetic that the year before the playoffs expanded 12 teams, that this is the year that we have the most controversy because we won't have to deal with this next year. Somebody put out whatever the hypothetical 12 team would be this year, and it's beautiful, and we're all going to be jacked up for that. It's just, it's tough. If you're a Florida State fan, I don't know how you digest it. It's a bitter, bitter pill to swallow if you're a Seminole fan. But I do think they got the four best teams in and what will end up being the two best matchups. That got set on Sunday. Badgers then found out their bowl assignment. This was a stunner to me. We were speculating or thinking about maybe the Music City Bowl in Nashville, which would have been great. That would have been December 30th, a Saturday night, premier party town in Nashville. 
They end up getting a January 1st bowl. They are going to the ReliaQuest, a.k.a. the former Outback Bowl. They're going to be in Tampa. And not only do they get a January 1 bowl, they take on, uh, you would say, what, in the last 20 years, a blue blood school, 13th ranked LSU. Now, who is going to play in this game? Who knows? If both of the teams that are fully healthy that played this year play each other, LSU is probably going to win this game by two or three touchdowns. Braylon Allen is not going to play, it doesn't sound like. And then the biggest question for LSU will be their quarterback, Jaden Daniel. Is he going to win the Heisman, which he is right now either the betting favorite or the second? I'm just getting to the spread page here. Jaden Daniels. Yeah, he is either the odds-on favorite or the second highest favorite to win the Heisman. He probably goes to the NFL. Is he going to play in this game? That's a huge X factor as well. Badgers, though, do get the January 1st bowl designation. Now, let me tell you this. We thought during the end of this year, even after the win against Nebraska and the Freedom Trophy, and even after getting the axe back and talking about that on whatever day, and now that we also said, okay, now if they win a bowl game, then you get three straight wins to end the year, you get two trophy games, you get a bowl game, and even though the year is a letdown, you enter the year with some momentum. Well, if you win the Freedom Trophy and the Axe, which they have, and then you beat the 13th-ranked team in the country, and you maybe beat the Heisman Trophy winner, that's some added momentum. That's not uh, that's not like winning the Music City Bowl or winning the Guaranteed Rate Bowl or the Duke's Mayo Bowl. If you win this, if you win a January 1 bowl against the 13th-ranked in the team in the country, and they actually do play Jaden Daniels, and he is coming off of a Heisman win, then you have some added dust there. You get a little bit of added pixie dust to the end of this end-of-the-year run. If you're getting two trophies and then you beat 13th-ranked LSU, that's a lot of momentum heading into the offseason after what has been a letdown of a year. That came out yesterday. What else do we want to go over? I mean, the Bucs, we don't have to spend too much time on this. They beat the Hawks on Saturday. Solid game from Bobby off the bench. Campaign had 18. He had his best game as a buck off the bench. Lillard and Giannis led the way. Giannis just continues to hit an absurd rate field goal percentage-wise. 10 of 14 on Saturday. He is shooting almost 61% from the field for the year. His career best, I think, is 55, which is still really good, which is outstanding. He's over 60%. With the win, they bounce back from that loss in Chicago. They also bounce back from getting their doors blown off by Atlanta in the second game of the year. That was also in Milwaukee, as it was on Saturday. 132-121 win. They are 14-6. and six. The in-season tournament resumes tonight. The Celtics are in Indiana. The winner of that game will play the winner of the Bucks knicks game on Tuesday in Vegas on Thursday. You would love, like we talked about the last podcast, to get an additional Bucks celtics game, which would give them five matchups on the year, and then you get it at a neutral site as well. I think I'm kind of rooting for the Celtics tonight. Just I want to see another Bucks celtics game, and I want to see it at a neutral, so- a neutral court. We will find out if they move on after tonight's games, and then tomorrow on TNT, it'll be the Bucks and the Knicks in the quarterfinal round, and if they do win that, they will take on the Celtics Pacers winner from tonight. They'll take them on on Thursday in Vegas. If you win that, you play for the championship on Saturday, I'm pretty sure, to wrap up the in-season tournament. But a nice win for the Bucks at home against the Hawks on Saturday night. And then we will wrap on the Milwaukee Brewers. Today we get it. It may be happening right now as we're recording this. I would guess we're getting close to 10 o'clock here. Let me just check on McCalvey's Twitter and see if they're doing anything. The Jackson Churio deal is set to go. He has, oh, DK entered the transfer portal. All right, so he is probably not going to play in the ReliQuest Bowl either. As I'm refreshing things here, that was on there. Chimere DK into the transfer portal for the Badgers. That's kind of a loss, sort of a down year for them, for him as well this year. It's been a weird year for all of the returning players, I think. 
But the Jackson Churio deal is set to go. He has passed his physical. No updates yet. Here are what the details are going to be, though. 19 years old. Has not played a second of baseball at the major league level. And that's why this is a landmark deal. The most money that will ever has ever been given to a player that has not played at the major league level. He is going to get the eight-year, $82 million deal. That buys him out of all of his ARB years, all seven of his team control years, plus one year. This is the biggest part to me, though. The two added years are team option years. They're worth a lot more money, but that means the Brewers, if this all pans out the way they hope it does, and Churio ends up being an all-world talent and a 5-2 player and a perennial all-star and a fixture in the outfield, then they will no-brainer. It's a no-brainer to pick up those two option years. So he could be under contract for the next 10 years. It's an eight plus two team option years, 82 million for the first eight years, up to 143 million if they do pick up those two option years. So those are what then about 25 or more than that, about 30 million a year, those two option years. But the Brewers control them. It's not a mutual option. It's not a player option. The Brewers control them. And if this all goes the way we're all hoping it goes and, he lives up to the potential and lives up to the hype. You would have this once-in-a-lifetime talent under contract for 10 years instead of seven years. And as we talked about during the last podcast, you pay him more early, and that gives him financial security. Then you get him on a much better deal late. If you're only paying him 30, and I know $30 million a year sounds like a lot. Think about when would that kick in. Eight years from now, it would be 2031. <laughs> $30 million a year might be peanuts in 2031. If this is a guy that's an all-star, he's a 5-2 player, he's a gold glover in center field, hitting 25-30 home runs, knocking in 100 runs, and batting 275 or 300 or whatever he ends up doing, that will be a value in 2031. Hard to think about that, that that's going to be 2031. Another bit of Brewer news is that it does sound like old friend Wade Miley is going to be back, and it's going to be on a one-year deal. He'll be 36 years old, I'm pretty sure. Health is always an issue for Miley. It doesn't seem like he makes his full 30 or 32 starts a whole lot, but he is coming off of a year that saw him make 23 starts. Yeah, the last year he made 30 starts was in Houston in 2019, the year after his time in Milwaukee. He made 33 starts that year. Early in his career he did, 32, 33, 33, 32, and then injuries started to nip him in 2016. He made 23 starts last year. He went 9-4. and four. Had a 3.14 ERA, more than solid, and a 2.5 war. This is a smart move. I don't know what it's going to cost them, 10 mil probably. Now, my question is, winter meetings start this week. And my feeling has been, with the way things have gone, with the Woodruff injury and releasing him and council leaving, and you're looking maybe toward a newer generation now with the Churio deal, my feeling has always been 85 90% that they are going to trade Burns entering the last year of his team control, and they're going to trade Adamas entering the last year of his team control, get as much back as you can, and then kind of build with an eye on 2025 or 2026 with Churio as the center of your team and Freilich and Garrett Mitchell and those kind of guys and whatever you've got coming up pitching-wise, Robert Gosser, Mizorowski, guys like that. I'm starting to feel like maybe they are just going to see what happens in the first half of this year. The value on a guy like Burns or Adamas is not going to be higher than it will be at the winter meetings, I wouldn't think, this year. Uh, maybe you end up in a situation where a contending team at the trade deadline this upcoming season has something happen where they're in desperate need of a shortstop or they have one of their star pitchers goes down and if they want to stay in championship contention, they need to overpay for a guy like Burns. You could end up in a circumstance like that where you could get as much or maybe more at the deadline. I am not hearing a lot of trade rumblings. Now, they could do it in 20 minutes. <laughs> I'm not hearing a lot of rumors 
revolving around Burns or Adamas. And now that you bring Miley back and you make this Churio deal, I'm starting to wonder if this team is just going to feel out the beginning of this year. And if they start out hot, all right, maybe we hang on to these guys and we see what happens. And if it doesn't start out hot or they're hovering around 500 and it doesn't seem like they're going to be a title contending team or a division title contending team or a playoff contending team, maybe at the deadline then you swing Burns and Adamas. I still feel like they trade those two guys before spring training and the most likely place for that to occur would be the winter meetings, which are going on as we speak. That's still my feeling, but I would have said I'm 90% certain that would happen, 10% not certain. Now I'm more 75-25 or maybe 70-30, 30% chance they may just hang on to Burns and Adamas and see how things go for the first half of the year. If they don't go well, then you trade them at the deadline and you maybe get, unless you end up with a team in a bad circumstance like we talked about, maybe you get 60 cents on the dollar or 75 cents on the dollar. I don't know. Starting to feel like that's more and more in play, though, of just hanging on to Burns and Adamas and seeing what happens here. Landmark deal, though, for the number two prospect in baseball press conference coming today at AmFam Field. All right, we'll get back after it on Friday. We will set things up for the NFL weekend. I guess we'll probably spend more time previewing Packers and Giants on next Monday's podcast, Monday Night Football in New York. We will talk about whatever happens this week for the Brewers at the winter meetings. We will maybe be coming off of an in-season tournament semifinal win Against the Celtics on Thursday by Friday's podcast. We'll see. We'll break all that down, too, on Friday. Have a happy, safe work week. We'll chat with you then.